Praise the name of the Lord. This is D.K. Groom to Rock Solid Truth. I'm so glad that each and every have each and every one of you have joined us for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. This is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for joining with us tonight. If you got your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We have been dealing with. The Word of God where it tells us that we shall have no condemnation in our life, but also I've been dealing with the operation and the function of the Holy Spirit as he abounds in our life. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today for your preciousness and your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to once again stand in this place. And I pray, Lord, that every word that I speak shall be anointed to the very place that it shall find a planting in every heart, every ear. We'll give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people says, Amen. For the past 12 weeks, I have been bringing to you awesome revelation concerning the wonderfulness of the Holy Spirit. Many people, many of God's people, mistakenly assume that the conviction, the condemning, the unworthiness, the shame that we feel in our hearts when we've done something wrong is the Holy Spirit. We assume it's the function of the Holy Spirit to keep us and bring us to the place of right standing where we prevail in the presence of the Lord. We've assumed that all the weeping, all the travailing, all the unworthiness, all the condemnation that takes place at the altar is taking place because of our individual sins through the function of the Holy Spirit. What I've been showing you through scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Not only a comforter, but another comforter, just like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not the accuser. He's not the condemner. He's the comforter. In fact, he's another reconciler. I'll say that again. He's another reconciler who desires to reconcile you through Christ to the Father. When the Lord Jesus Christ told him that when the, when, when the, when Christ told that he was going to send another comforter, he's going to be just like Jesus. The ministry of Jesus speaks a number of things. He's an acceptor, not a rejecter. Look at John chapter 8, verse 10. John chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accuser? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus is not an accuser, and neither is the Holy Spirit. Christ desires to bring together, not tear apart. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five verse eighteen. 
Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What a powerful word. Not only is Jesus a reconciler, not only is the Holy Spirit a reconciler, but the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a ministry of reconciliation as well. To draw, to bring together, not to tear apart or to accuse, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Here is the same ministry that Christ had, that the Holy Spirit has, and now he's given to us that same ministry of reconciliation. You and I. Ministers of reconciliation. You see, the ministry of Christ spoke of acceptance. It spoke of encouragement. spoke of freedom. It spoke of love. And then he says that he's going to send another just like himself. And then he makes this tremendous statement, and he says it's expedient. This is Jesus speaking now. It's expedient for him to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is that it is better for him to leave and the Holy Ghost to come. It's better that he leaves. It's better that he goes so that the Holy Ghost can come. But many of God's children are not in agreement with that scripture. Look at John 16, verse 7. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, or if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The Scripture is relating something very powerful. It's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than it is for you to have Christ in his physical body. What a powerful word. And the reason that most people desire Christ here instead of the Holy Spirit, is because of the negativity that has been taught through the church concerning the Holy Spirit. Most people do not understand the purpose, the function, or the operation of the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The way that most people interpret the scripture is that when the Holy Ghost comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin, plural, not singular, and unrighteousness, and we're going to be judged for those sins if we do not repent. That's how most of God's people interpret that scripture. And this is a total mis misinterpretation of what Christ is saying here in John 16, 8. I believe that Christ knew how religious people were going to misinterpret the scripture. 
That's why he spent the next three verses explaining what he meant. Verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. Notice the scripture, of sin, singular, not plural. Christ did not say of sins. The Holy Spirit is not reproving the world of their individual sins. Christ said that the Holy Spirit was reproving the world of sin, and that one sin is that they do not believe on him. This this is the one sin that the Holy Spirit is reproving the world of. What is that one sin? Unbelief. Every sin, every action comes out of this root sin. Unbelief. Every problem that you have in your life, every difficulty you have, every obstruction that you have, every dilemma that is taking place in your life is taking place because you have chosen to find a solution to your problem by some other way than believing on him. I need to say that again. Every problem that you have in your life, every difficulty, Every dilemma, every obstruction is taking place because you have chosen to find a solution to your problem by some other way than believing on him. The Holy Spirit is not going to convict you because you've chosen a doctor instead of the word. The Holy Spirit is not going to convict you because you choose lust instead of love. The Holy Spirit is not going to convict you because you choose a lie instead of the truth. What he's going to convict you of is the unbelief that is causing you to choose the doctor over his word, the lust over love, and the lie over the truth. He reproves the world over one sin, and that sin is not believing not trusting in him. That's why it's so easy for the drunk, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the molester, the murderer to be saved. Because no matter what you have done, the Holy Spirit is not reproving you of your individual sin. He is reproving you of one sin, which is unbelief. And then what the Holy Spirit does is he sets forth to begin to reconcile you into direct relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. The one sin that the Holy Spirit reproves you of is the sin of not believing in Christ. After you become born again, that does not mean that he stops reproving you. Because now he sets forth to reprove you and to bring you into the fullness of relationship by dealing with the areas of your life where you are struggling to believe on him. Struggling about prosperity. Struggling about healing. Struggling about relationships. And the Holy Ghost is reproving you always in the positive, not in the negative. And how he reproves you is to encourage you, uplift you, open your eyes to see, open your ears to hear, to reveal unto you the love that Christ has for you, to bring you the revelation of his word. 
and he wants to bring you to that place where you understand that Christ is enough, that Christ is all you need, that Christ is the solution to every one of your problems, that Christ is the source, and that there is contentment in Christ. Everything the Holy Spirit is going to do is going to be centered around your relationship in Christ for you to walk in the fullness of that relationship. And when you begin to see the Word of God through the eyes of God, then the Holy Spirit becomes your best friend, not your accuser. He becomes your comforter, your teacher. He becomes your light in the middle of your night. I'll say that again. He becomes your light in the middle of your night. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today that the mighty name of Jesus shall be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your people. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can stand and glorify and magnify that word in our lives. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory. Thank you once again for joining the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. This is DK Grooms with Rock Solid Truth. Go with God, and he will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord. This is DK Grooms with Rock Solid Truth, and I'm so glad that you have joined with us for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast tonight. I pray that you are walking in the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has told us that we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in high places. Praise the Lamb of God. I want to wish each and every one of you that have joined with us tonight a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. I pray that you are going to have a wonderful time with your family. Remember what we are thankful for. We are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us such a mighty salvation. If you've got your Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that he may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And my prayer today is that you may be doing just exactly that, that you be abounding in hope through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today. Magnify your name, glorify your name, and thank you, Lord, for an abundance of what you have given to us as children of God. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory. Thank you, you and man, and we'll thank you and praise you as you bless the hearts of those that have gathered today to hear your word. For the past 12 weeks, I have been bringing to you truths truths that will literally make you free concerning the Holy Ghost and how he can abound in your life simply by you coming into truth concerning him. I have been showing you revelation of God's word. I have been showing you how the Holy Ghost operates and functions in the world that we live in today. Turn to John chapter chapter 16, verse 8. I have been showing you that the Holy Ghost does not convict you of your individual actions or your individual sins, but that he convicts you only of one sin. And that one sin 
is rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Verse 8, John 16. The Word of God is showing you what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world that we live in. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, it's expedient that I leave, or if I leave, then the Father will send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And that's exactly what happened. When Jesus Christ left, God the Father sent another comforter, the Holy Spirit. This is what he's been doing since he came. Reproving the world of sin. Singular. Sin. And verse 9 tells us that he is reproving, or his conviction is, because they believe not on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to bring this out because it is so very important. And he says that the reason that he convicts people of sin, singular, is because they believe not on him. That's the root problem behind all sins, plural, behind all actions, is that they do not believe on him. Now, I dealt with this last Sunday night, but let's deal with it again. Because we're dealing here with, I'm just giving you an example of, of how this works. A person who lies or a person who exaggerates. The reason they lie, the reason that they exaggerate is because they really do not believe that Christ will promote them to their rightful place. I want to say that again. The reason that they lie or the reason that they exaggerate is because they really do not believe that Christ will promote them to their rightful place. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in in due time. That's the word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, that he may lift you up, that he may put you in the very place that he has desired to put you in due time. Here lies the reason for exaggeration, and here lies the reason for lying. Because you really do not believe that God will exalt you in due time. This is especially prevalent in ministers when it comes to numbers. Numbers somehow have made its mark in the church to represent how successful that preacher really is. Success is no longer determined because of relationship. Success is now determined by the number of people that you have going to your church. How many people are walking through the doors? 
And because relationship with God is not enough, satisfaction has to be achieved through numbers or achievements. Satisfaction or sense of worth has to be achieved or received in some shape or form when satisfaction is not received through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When relationship with God is not enough, then here's what man does. He builds empires and he builds huge ministries. He builds landmarks. He builds monuments to emphasize what has been done instead of receiving satisfaction through relationship because of what he's done. Well, that is powerful. Relationship should be the number one thing that should be taking place in your life. Not what you've done, not what you are building, but relationship. And there's no question that God orders your steps. And that God leads you and guides you in the areas that he wants to lead you and guide you. There's no question about that. And I don't have problems with owning or purchasing buildings. Because I believe that buildings are necessary for growth. But what I'm speaking about is the building of ministries to show how successful man is or preachers are or telling everybody else, this is what God has done in me. How many times that people talk about ministries and they say, this is what God has done. I bless God for what he's doing in my ministry. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that God is blessing every ministry. You see, when God is not enough, for you to be satisfied because of relationship. When satisfaction in relationship is not enough to make you satisfied, you can take this to level to anything, any, any level that you want to take it to. Any problem that you may experience is going to go back to the root of lacking because of relationship. I need to say that again. Any problem that you may be experiencing is going to go back to the root of lacking because of relationship. The root problem of all drug addiction, to all alcohol, alcoholism, to all perversion, is the very fact that God's not enough. Jesus Christ is not enough. And it's the one sin that is not forgivable. And it's the root of every action. Because they do not believe on him. The world is going to tell you that the reason that you are a drug addict, an alcoholic, because you're perverted, because of any of the problems that you may have in your life, they're going to tell you the reason that you have this problem is because it's a sickness, it's a disease. It's not true. The reason that you are and have problems that you have is because there's a void in your life that has not been filled. There's an emptiness in your life that has not been filled. 
and you are trying to fill it, you are trying to find something to fill it so that you can be satisfied, and because Christ has not filled that void, because Christ has not filled that emptiness, it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to be satisfied until he fills that void. You see, you're trying to fill a void with other things besides him. You're trying to fill that void with things so that you can feel a sense of satisfaction, and the only thing that will give you that satisfaction is him, because that void was created for him. There's always going to be an emptiness in your life if Christ does not fill that void. And at the end of the day, you're going to feel unsatisfied no matter if you have lots of money, if your career is bubbling and, and, is, and, and, and you have these million-dollar homes and these new cars and all of these things. Your, your life is still going to be unsatisfied because only Christ is able to fill the void for you to be satisfied. Alcoholics, workaholics, trying to fill that void can't be done. When Christ is not enough to satisfy you, then you're going to be held accountable for those things that are in your life because he was not enough when in all reality, he's more than enough. Look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we think the way that we think? Why do we deal with the negative instead of dealing with the positive? Why do we do those things? The problem is, is because we are not having, and the relationship with Christ is not satisfied. And our relationship with Christ is not what it should be in a relationship. Every negative that takes place in the Christian life stems from one fact not trusting and walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not believing on him the way that we should be believing on him. Let us pray. I want to thank you and praise you today for your word once again. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your children. Bless those that are here. Touch them, move upon them, strengthen them that the very words that they've heard will become a place of planting, and that planting shall bring forth a harvest. 
This is D.K. Booms with Rock Solid Truth, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast tonight. Once again, have a wonderful Thanksgiving tomorrow with family. Be blessed. Walk in his spiritual blessing. This is D.K. Booms with Rock Solid Truth. Go with God, and he will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord, this is D.K. Grooms, this Rock Solid Truth, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you have joined with us today. Praise the Lord, this is the day that the Lord hath made, and I pray that you are walking in the abundance of the Lord Jesus Christ, abounding in all of the things and all of the promises that he's given to you. And then if you've got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I pray that you are having a wonderful day, walking in all of the blessings that he's given to you and I. Pray that you're the head and not the tail. There's enough tails hanging around the Church of God. <laughs> not the Church of God. <laughs> uh, number one. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, 15, verse 13. <laughs> all right, here we go. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Lord, of the Holy Ghost. Father, we want to thank you and praise you and magnify your name. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your people. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said amen. I'm so glad that you've joined us for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast today. And then we have been speaking for the past 11 weeks about the abounding power of the Holy Ghost. And for the past 12 weeks, I have been bringing to you often truth concerning the Holy Ghost and how he can abound in your life simply by you coming into truth concerning him. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God tells you that truth shall make you free. The past couple of weeks I have been showing you the operation and the function of the Holy Ghost in your life. Last week I began to show you that the Holy Ghost does not convict you of your individual sin, but that he convicts you only of one sin, and that sin is rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. In verse 8, the Word of God is showing you that the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do in the world that we live in. The Word of God says that he will reprove the world of sin, and verse 9 tells us what that reproving or that conviction is. And verse 9 tells us it's because that we believe not on him. The root problem behind all sins, the root problem behind all actions, is that you do not believe on him. Let me explain some of this. A person who lies or a person who exaggerates 
the reason they lie or the reason they exaggerate is because they really do not believe that Christ will promote them in their rightful place. I need to say that again because this is so very powerfully important. A person who lies or a person who exaggerates, the reason they lie and exaggerate is because they really do not believe that Christ will promote them to their rightful place. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Here lies the reason for exaggeration and lying, because you do not believe that God will exalt you in due time. And this is especially prevalent in ministers when it comes to numbers. Numbers somehow have made its mark in the church to represent how successful you really are by God. Success is no longer determined because of relationship with God. It's determined through the number of people that are walking through your door. And that's a tragedy because it is not true. And the reason that people look at this is because relationship with God is not enough. So they have to lie or they have to exaggerate. Satisfaction has to be achieved through numbers or achievements. Satisfaction or sense of worth has to be achieved or received in some sort or some shape or some form when satisfaction is not received simply through relationship with God. When relationship with God is not enough, then this is what men do. They build empires, and they build huge ministries. They build landmarks and monuments to emphasize what they have done. Instead of receiving satisfaction through relationship because of what Jesus Christ has done, Now, I don't have problems with owning or purchasing buildings. Buildings are necessary for growth. I get that. What I'm speaking about is the building of ministries to show how successful God has made you. When God is going to be, when is God going to be enough for whoever it may be? When is God going to be just enough for you to be satisfied simply because of relationship. When satisfaction in relationship, when is that going to be enough? When are you going to be satisfied simply because you have relationship with Jesus? Now, you can take this to any level that you want. Any problem that you may be experiencing is going to go back to the root of lacking because of relationship. The root problem to all drug addiction, to all alcoholism, to all perversion, is the very fact that God's not enough. Jesus Christ is not enough. It is the one sin that is 
not forgivable. It's the root of every action. Because they do not believe on him. That's what the word of God is telling you and I tonight through scripture. The world is going to tell you that the reason that you are a drug addict, an alcoholic, is because of genes that you've got in your body. It's a sickness that you have. I remember a long time ago when if you were an alcoholic, it was because you chose to be an alcoholic. Today, it's called a sickness. It's called a disease. And that's not true. The reason that the reason that things are taking place in your life is because there's a void. There's an emptiness in your life that has not been filled. And it's because Jesus Christ has not filled that void. Jesus Christ has not filled that emptiness. Because he's not enough to satisfy you. Multitudes of people are trying to fill that void with multitudes of other things besides him. They're trying to fill it with some sense of satisfaction. That's the reason that we have workaholics today. That's the reason that we have many of the things that people do. Partyings and drinking and drugs and all of these things. When Christ is not enough to satisfy you, then you're going to be held accountable for those things that are in your life because he was not enough. When in all reality, he is more than enough. You know, you're going to be held accountable for the needle that you choose instead of him or the bottle that you choose instead of him or the pill that you choose instead of him for the job, for the career that you choose instead of him. And the sin is not going to be in the drugs, in the alcohol, in the lies, in the relationships, or in the career. That's not going to be the sin. The sin is going to be because he was not enough for you. The root to all of these sins is the fact that all of these things that you're trying to satisfy Only he can satisfy. And the conviction that the Holy Ghost is going to reprove the world with is the conviction of one sin. To bring you to the place where you believe on Jesus, trust in Jesus, have satisfaction with Jesus because of relationship with Jesus. And that belief will take you to the place far beyond your experience with careers, needles, relationships, work. That satisfaction can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Second Peter chapter one verse four. Second Peter chapter one verse four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these he might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through love. The reason that the world does the the things that the world does, the the, the reason that the world thinks the way that they think, 
The reason that they deal with the negative instead of that which is the positive is because they have no relationship with Christ the way that we should be having a relationship with Christ. Every negative that takes place in the Christian life stems from one fact. I say need to say that again. Everything negative that takes place in the Christian life with the Christian individual stems from one fact. We're not trusting and walking in relationship with Christ. We're not believing on him the way that we should be believing on him. What a powerful word. Let's pray. I want to thank you and praise you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for that which has been brought to us. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory. What I've just given you tonight is a powerful word concerning who we are in Christ. When we believe the way that we're supposed to believe, Jesus will be enough. There will be no exaggeration. There will be no lies. We will not be thinking the negative. We will be walking in the positive of all that he has done and all that he wants to do within you. This is D.K. Grooms. Thank you for for joining with us on the Rock Solid Truth broadcast tonight. Go with God, and he will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord. This is D.K. Grooms with Rock Solid Truth, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for our Rock Solid Truth broadcast tonight. We want to thank the Lord for what he's doing in the midst of his people. We want to thank the Lord for his word. We thank the Lord that we are the head and not the tails, and we thank the Lord that we are more than conquerors in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank the Lord for what he is doing in the midst of his people opening the door so that God's people should get the revelation of God's word. Turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, if you will, please. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We are into our limit message of the 11th week in our series, Abounding in the Power of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, thank you today. Thank you for the opportunity to once again preach your word, and thank you for the opportunity to come together in one mind and one accord with your people, that your holy name shall be lifted up. I ask you, Lord, to touch this speaker's mouth, that the very words that go forth shall be anointed to be planted in a heart to bring forth a harvest. We'll give you all the praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. I have been teaching for the past ten weeks, Concerning the revelation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I have been telling you and teaching you that that condemning spirit, that condescending spirit, is not the spirit of the Holy Spirit at all. 
but I've been sharing with you that it's your heart, your conscience, and the accuser of the brethren, the devil. The unworthiness that you feel doesn't come from the Holy Ghost. The guilt that you feel, condemnation, inadequacy, the insecurity, none of those things are coming from the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. I have been dealing with this scripture for the past three to four to five weeks. A tremendous scripture, because if you grasp the reality of what John is saying here, he's telling you that if your heart condemns you, then God is greater than your heart. And he's also telling you that if your heart does not condemn you, then you have confidence towards God. And he's telling you and I that we as children of God have to assure our hearts before him that we are in a relationship of truth. Now let's just read what the scripture says in 1 John three nineteen. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. You see, every single one of us as children of God should know that. The Word of God tells us that the truth makes you free. We are to know that we are in a relationship of truth with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should assure our hearts before him that we are, in fact, in that relationship. For the Word of God tells us in verse 20 that if our heart condemns us, then God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Verse 21 tells you that if your heart does not condemn you, then your heart has confidence towards God. Many of the things that we have attributed to the Holy Spirit is not the function nor the operation of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we do not understand what is taking place is because we have walked in error concerning him. We've not learned to walk in the fullness of relationship with the Holy Spirit, appreciating all that the Holy Spirit does within us, for us. His desire, the desire of the Holy Spirit is the same as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells you that you and I as children of God are to have no condemnation in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is just as Jesus. He's a Comforter just as Jesus is a Comforter. Four different times in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus describes the Holy Ghost as another Comforter. Look at John 16, verse 8, if you will, please. John 16, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. On the eve of his crucifixion, he tells his disciples four times that the Holy Ghost is coming as a comforter. And then he says that when he comes, 
He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. These are three areas that the Holy Ghost is going to deal with the world and the people in the world. First of all, he's going to reprove them of sin. He's going to deal with righteousness, and he's going to deal with judgment. He's going to bring revelation and truth concerning these three things. Now, that word reprove in the Greek is elkio, and it means to convict, to convince, to tell a fault. And this is where the church gets the teaching that the unction and the function of the Holy Spirit is to convict a person of their sin. I want to say that again. This is where the church gets the teaching. And the false teaching, I might add, that the function of the Holy Spirit is to convict a person of their sin and their wrongdoing or the things that they've done. And it's to show them what they're doing wrong, to show them their failure, to show them their mistake, to bring them to a place of unworthiness and condemnation. And I've already showed you that we are to have no condemnation. And yet the church teaches that the Holy Ghost brings us to that place of unworthiness and condemnation so that we will repent. And if we do not repent, then we're going to be judged. Well, preacher, how do you know all this? Because I did it for years before the Lord gave me the revelation of what I'm bringing to you now. I did it for years. Listen to the word. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This has been the interpretation that the church has taught for years. The Holy Ghost has come to convict the world of their sin. He has come to bring condemnation, to bring us and make us keep in right standing with God. You know what's awesome? Is that I believe that Jesus Christ knew that the church would misinterpret the Scripture. I believe he knew that. I believe he knew that multitudes of Christians would misinterpret the Scripture. And that's the reason that he spent the next three verses explaining what he really meant when he said that the Holy Spirit was going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Let's look at John 16, verse 9, again, if you will, please. John 16, verse 9. This is where John is explaining, or this is where Jesus is explaining through John what he meant through the previous scripture. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I need to say it again. Why do we as children of God allow our opinions to get in the way of the Word of God? Why do we do that? 
Why do we allow our opinion and what we think is right? Why do we allow it to get in the Word of God? Or why do we get? Why do we get? Why did it come to the place where we reject the Word of God because of our opinions and what we think? John sixteen verse eight tells us precisely what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes. He interpreted, and we, no, this is so tremendous. We interpreted verse 8 the way we wanted to interpret it. The church interpreted it the way they wanted to interpret it. They interpreted it through the flesh. They interpreted it through a void of, without praying, without direction, without asking the Holy Spirit. You see, we have this in so many instances. So many instances. That's what the Word of God says in John 8. When he has come, he will prove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. So verse 8 tells us that we're going to reprove the world, that the Holy Ghost is going to reprove the world of sin, not sin, not plural, but sin in the singular. Now, I know that I gave you scriptures last Sunday night, but these scriptures are so wonderful to me. Because when we're dealing with sins in the plural, we need to make sure that we understand what the Word of God is really telling us. Look at John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Notice again what I said in John chapter 16, verse 8, that when he comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin. Of sin because they believe not on me. Not sins in the plural, but sins in the singular. Now look at 1 John 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a powerful scripture. What a powerful word. What this scripture is telling you, telling me, telling everyone that reads this verse, is that the sin issue has already been taken care of. He is the propitiation, or he is the sacrifice, or he is the one that has been, that is hanging on the cross. He is the one who is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, not only yours, but for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the entire world have been dealt with. Now, I want to tell you, the church doesn't want to, want to, church doesn't want to deal with that. There are multitudes of God's people that don't want to deal with that. I, I, I'm in a denomination that they don't want to deal with that. He's the atonement. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the one that appeased the Father. He was the ransom for all the sins of the entire world. Powerful. 2,000 years ago, Christ paid the debt. 
He paid for all of the sins, sins, plural, not singular, sins, plural, of the entire world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once. Notice what the scripture says. He entered in once, and he took care of the sin issue. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, people have a hard time grasping this, but salvation has already been given. It's already been given. Salvation has been given for the entire world. Grace and faith has been given for the entire world. It is sitting out there. Grace is throughout the entire world, sitting there, waiting for any individual who wants to come and grasp the hold of salvation. It's sitting there, waiting for somebody to accept it. It's already been done. It's already been obtained. And it's sitting there through the unction of the Holy Spirit in this world for any the whosoever will to accept. And their sins have already been forgiven. Before you ever accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's dealt with the sin issue for the entire world. Now, you have to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in order for that to be applied to you. But the fact of the matter is, is that all sins, past, present, and future, have already been atoned for. They've already been paid for. The only sin that has not been paid for is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Other than that, all individual sins have already been paid for. If you do not accept him as Lord and Savior, all of that, that sin that the Holy Ghost is reproving the world of, is going to come to you. But all individual sins have already been paid for. The only sin that will ever be found in hell is the sin of those who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. Individual sins is not the issue. I'll say it again. Individual sins is not the issue. The church believes that it is. But it's not the issue for all sins that have already been atoned for. Christ has already dealt with the sin issue. The only sin that is not atoned for is the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only sin that the Holy Spirit is dealing with in this world, the only sin that he's reproving the world of, the only sin that he's convicting the world of, is the sin of not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of the good news of the gospel. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord, 
when you are accepted in the beloved, all of your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. The sin issue is forever settled. When you become born again, not only is the sin issue taken care of, not only do you accept it, not only do you receive the new man in your in your spirit man, but you also conscience is purged from dead works. What a powerful word. So how does the Holy Spirit convict the born again believer of sin? Now, follow me, because this is tremendous. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, but not individual sin. All individual sins have already been atoned for. What he convicts of is sins concerning unbelief and not trusting in Jesus. There are people right now who are going to argue with that, and and that's fine. They say that the adulterer needs to be convinced of their sin, and yet Jesus didn't convince the adulterer, the woman that he found. He told her to go and sin no more. But he didn't convict her. She doesn't need to be convicted of her sin. You see, there are multitudes of people that believe the liar, the cheater, the molester, the religious, the murderer, the gambler, the drunkard. They all need to be convicted. Convicted of their sins so that they can get saved. And yet the Word of God tells us, and Ephesians tells us that it's the goodness of God. In Romans, it's the goodness of God that leads man to salvation. Not the conviction of what you've done wrong. Let me tell you, the sinner understands what they've done wrong. They understand that. You see, it all comes down to one thing. If you truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you would not be doing the things that you're doing. The outward manifestation of all sin is because of one sin, not believing on him. But here's what religion does. It always deals with the exterior of man, always deals with the outside of man. God deals with the interior of man or the inside of man. Man always deals with behavior modification. God deals with transformation. See, religion cannot change the heart because religion is nothing more than what man thinks about God. I need to say that again. Religion cannot change the heart. All religion is is what man thinks about God. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today magnify your name, and thanking you, Lord, for the opportunity once again to bring forth your word. Thank you. 
thank you for that revelation and thank you for the accountability and not only the accountability, but to stand in my presence to exalt your word. I give you all the praise and all the glory. Your people will give you all the praise and all the glory. And I want to thank those that have come tonight for tuning in to Rock Solid Truth broadcast. Go with God, and he will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord. This is D.K. Grooms with Rock Solid Truth, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you have joined with us today for our presentation of Rock Solid Truth. Amen. I'm praying that everybody is having a wonderful day, that you are abounding in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God says that this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice, and I'm praying that you are rejoicing as well as a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ as you walk in the power and the authority that he has given to you. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15. We have been dealing for the past 10 weeks in the abounding power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you that the mighty name of Jesus Christ shall be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the lives of your children. Thank you, Lord, for every single one of the people today that have got online, that have come to hear God's word, God's truth. And I pray, Lord, that every word that they hear shall be abounding in their life that they shall walk in the power and in the glory of all the promises of God. We'll give you all the praise and all of the glory in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. Amen. For the past ten weeks, I have been teaching you that the condemning that we feel many times from the Holy Spirit is, in fact, not Him at all. It's our heart. I've taught you that the unworthiness that you feel is not coming from the Holy Spirit. The guilt that you feel, the condemnation, the inadequacy, the insecurity that you feel a lot of the times is not coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from your conscience. It's coming from your heart. And, of course, it's coming from the accuser of the brethren, that slewfoot devil. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Because I want to show you again through the Word how it is our own heart that condemns us. It's our conscience that condemns us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. What a powerful word. Many of the things that we have attributed to the Holy Spirit is not the function or the operation of the Holy Spirit. And what has happened is because of error that has been taught in the church, we have walked in error concerning the Holy Spirit. And because we've walked in error, let me tell you what has happened. We've not learned to walk in the fullness of relationship with the Holy Spirit 
appreci- appreciating all that he desires and wants to do within us. You see, the desire of the Holy Spirit is the same as Christ. The Holy Spirit desires that you have no condemnation in your relationship with Christ. Jesus Christ desires that you have no relationship with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, or with him. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It cannot get any clearer than this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Comforter, the other Comforter that Jesus said the Father would send, is just exactly like the first Comforter, Jesus Christ. Four times in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus described the Holy Ghost as he is to come, and he describes him as another comforter. Look at John 16, verse 8. I need somebody to mute their phone, please. John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, I want to say that again. John 16, 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. On the eve of the crucifixion of Christ... He tells his disciples four times that the Holy Ghost is coming as a comforter. And then he makes a statement. He says, when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. In other words, there are three areas that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with the world in. He's going to deal with it, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to reprove them of sin. He's going to deal with righteousness, and he's going to deal with judgment. Now, the word reprove in the Greek is el enkil, and it means to convict, to convince, or to tell a fault. I want to say that again. The word reprove in the Greek is el enkil, and it means to convict, to convince, and to tell a fault. And this is where the church gets the teaching that the unction and the function of the Holy Spirit is to convict a person of their sins, to show them when they are doing wrong, to show them their failures and mistakes, to bring them to a place of unworthiness and condemnation so that they might repent And if they do not repent, then they're going to be judged. This is how the church has interpreted the scripture. And multitudes of preachers and teachers and even people have interpreted the scripture, and I did it for years. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I'll say it again. I interpreted it that way for years and years until the Holy Ghost, until the Lord showed me and gave me revelation concerning the Scripture. 
the Holy Spirit has to convict. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of their sin. He has come to bring condemnation to bring us and to keep us right and right standing with God. And I believe that Christ knew that the church would misinterpret the Scripture. I believe that Christ knew that multitudes of Christians would misinterpret the Scripture. And this is the reason that I believe he spent the next three verses explaining what he really meant when he said that the Holy Spirit was going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now look at John 16, verse 9. John 16, verse 9. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. You know what's important here? is that why do we as children of God allow our opinions and what we think to get in the way of the Word of God? I probably need to say that again. Why do we as born-again children of God allow our opinions and what we have always thought to get in the way of the Word of God? Why do we allow preachers to feed us and then don't check out what they're feeding us with? John 16, 8 tells us precisely what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes. John 16, 9, 10, and 11 explains to us what he meant, and it is as if he never explained it at all. I need to say that again. John 16, 9, 10, and 11 explains to us what Jesus meant. And it's as if Jesus didn't explain it all at all. We interpreted verse 8 the way that we wanted to interpret it. We interpreted without a doubt in the flesh. We interpreted void of prayer, void of direction. And because of that misinterpretation, we were not able to walk in the truth concerning the Holy Ghost. It's amazing to me that the majority of God's people do not allow their opinions and their traditional teachings to get in the way of the Word of God. Multitudes of people follow false religion and false teaching because they do not allow the Word of God to influence them, they do not allow the Holy Spirit to influence them, and they do not allow the Word of God, to bring them to a place of truth. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 4. I believe that what I just said, I believe, is so powerful. We need to take it to heart. Romans chapter 3, verse 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be judged justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. You see, I believe that, the, that God's word should be dominant. 
I believe that God's word should dominate you and I. That's why I am so very careful when it comes to preaching the word, because I am accountable for everything that I preach and everything that I say. Now, look at John 16, verse 8 again, because I'm going to go back to the word here that we were at. Look at what the Word of God says in John 16, verse 8. We've done a backtrack. We're back to that again. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Look at verse 9. We're dealing now with sin. Of sin because they believe not on me. Notice what verse 8 says. It says that he will reprove the world of sin. Not sins in the plural, but sin in the singular. Let me say that again. He will reprove the world of sin. Not sins in the plural, but sin in the singular. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Notice what the scripture says. Christ was the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. You know what that means? He was the atonement. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the appeasing. He was the ransom for all of the sins of the entire world. 2,000 years ago, Christ paid the debt for every sin in the entire world. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what sin it was. He was the propitiation for our sins. Every sin that man had ever committed, he was the propitiation for our sins. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What does that mean? It means exactly what First John chapter 2, verse 2 says. And he is the propitiation for all of our sins. All of the sins of the world, he entered in once and took care of the sin problem. All sins, past, present, and future sins, have all been atoned for. They've all been paid for. Now hear me and hear this. The only sin that has not been paid for is the sin of rejecting Christ as your Lord and Savior. I need to say that again. The only sin that has not been paid for is the sin of rejecting Christ as your Lord and Savior. All individual sins have already been 
paid for. And I want to tell you, there are multitudes of God people that are going to churches, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Foursquare. I can go on and on and on that they believe that this is not true. They believe that they must get 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 their sins under the blood. They believe that they must get uh, they must travail and wail and travail at an altar. They believe that for sins that they've committed, there must be atoning grace. They 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 believe that all sins have not been taken care of, and yet the Word of God is very clear. Is that the Holy Spirit is going to deal with? One sin, not sins, but one sin, and that is the sin of not accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All sins have already been paid for. And if you weren't my people, there would be multitudes of people screaming, heretic, heresy, because this is what they've been taught in the churches. All sins have already been taken care of. That is how Christ had to get to us, because he had to deal with sin first. The only sin that will be found in hell, the only sin that will be found in hell, is the sin of those who refuse to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Individual sins is not the issue. The church believes that it is. The church believes that your sins, whatever they may be, are an issue. But it's not an issue, because those sins have already been atoned for. The only sin that has not been atoned for is your rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only sin that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit deals with in this world. What are you saying, preacher? Are you saying that that the Holy Ghost only deals with one sin? That is exactly right. He is the comforter. He lifts you up. He comforts you. He draws you. He reconciles you to himself, just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. The only sin that he is reproving the world of, the only sin that he is convicting the world of, is the sin of you not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the good news. That's the wonderful, too good to be true news of the gospel. And when you accept the Lord as your personal Savior, as your Lord, then you are accepted in the Beloved, and all of your sins are forgiven. The sin issue is forever settled. I just came out of a church that doesn't believe that. I just came out of a church that doesn't believe that. The sin issue is forever settled. And you could see it in some people when I would say that, that, that they just don't believe that, because they've been taught that religion teaches you that you must be accountable for every sin. If that's the case, if that's the case, you will never be able to be free from the sin issue. So does the Holy Spirit convict the born-again believer of sin? That's the question. 
Does the Holy Spirit convict the born-again believer of sin? Yes, but not individual sins, because individual sins have already been atoned for. What he convicts them of is sins concerning unbelief and not trusting in Jesus. I need to say that again. What he convicts them of is sins concerning unbelief and not trusting in Jesus. And there's going to be people right now who would love to argue that point. And they will say that an adulterer needs to be convicted of their sins. The liar needs to be convicted. The cheater, the molester, the religious, the murderer, the gambler, the drunkard. They all have to be convicted of their sins. Because all of those things come down to one thing only. If you really and truly believed on Christ, they would not be doing the things that they're doing. The outward manifestation of all sin is because of one sin, not believing on him. You see, religion always deals with the exterior of man. And God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost always deals with the interior of man. Man always deals with behavior modification. God deals with transformation. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. First Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, God looks on the heart. Religion deals with getting people to quit doing something. God deals with changing the heart. And with the changing of the heart, you stop doing the very thing that you need to quit. Changing the heart will change everything else. Religion cannot change the heart. Because religion is nothing more than what man thinks about God. What a powerful, powerful message. Let us pray. I don't want to thank you and praise you today for your word. I want to thank you and praise you for what you're doing in the lives of your children. I thank you for the opportunity to preach this word. I pray now, Lord, that everyone that is within the sound of hearing my voice, no matter where it may be, that this shall bring forth revelation, shall bring forth truth, and shall challenge each and every one that had ears to hear and eyes to see the preciousness and the glory of God's Word, the too-good-to-be-true news of the Gospel. This is D.K. Grooms with Rock Solid Truth. Go with God, and I guarantee you, He will surely, surely He will go with you. Praise the Lord, this is D.K. Grooms, and I am so glad that each and every one of you have joined us for us with the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. 
Praise the Lamb of God. This is the day that the Lord hath made. And I pray that you are rejoicing in it, you are being blessed in it, and you are walking in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ as he has afforded it unto you. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We have been speaking about condemnation and about the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Shall be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the lives of your people. We shall multiply, we shall magnify and glorify your name, and thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. Last week I began to bring to you chapters 13 through 18 in the book of John and how Christ told his disciples four times that he was sending another comforter just like himself to take his place when he departed from the earth. And he began to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he referred to him as a comforter. Now, I want you to grasp this because this is on the eve of the crucifixion of Christ. This is when he knew all things that were going to happen to him. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that his disciples were going to abandon him. He knew that Peter would deny him, would curse him while he's sitting at the enemy's camp refusing to even acknowledge that he knew him. I find this tremendous. And then he is speaking about sending another comforter just like himself. Not an accuser, not a condemner, not an afflictor, but a comforter just like himself. Remember when the adulterous woman was caught in an affair? Well, she, right in the midst of adultery, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees brought her before Christ. And Jesus, looking down, riding on the sand, never looked up. And when they condemned her and brought her to him, he just said, when he was released, he said, which one of you is without sin? And then he told the woman, he said, go and sin no more. What a comforter. Here is a woman that was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. What a comforter. And now the Holy Ghost is going to be sent. Jesus is talking about sending another comforter just like himself. Look at John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is, a, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Grasp this. The ministry of the Holy Ghost is to do the same things that Christ did, to teach you all things. Remember when he spoke unto everybody and he says, Go ye therefore into all of the world, teaching what I have taught you, 
the ministry of the Holy Ghost is to do the same things that Christ did, to teach you all things and to bring to remembrance all the things that Christ said unto you. Christ did not go about condemning and accusing. He went about showing the grace and the goodness of God as he reconciled the world unto himself. Yes, there were times when religious people, Sadducees and Pharisees and even the Essenes, and he rebuked them simply because they condemned him. The only people that Christ ever condemned were the religious hypocrites who preached and lived outside the covenant. People who walked in self-righteousness, condemning those who did not live up to their standards. But Christ ministered unto the sinner, the lepers, cripples, the adulterers, the tax collectors, the harlots, the drunkards, the doctors, the lawyers. And what did he do? He showed them the love of God, building and encouraging them as they walked in relationship with him. That is the ministry. That was the ministry of Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as well on this earth. Condemnation comes from two places. The heart, as described in 1 John 3, 19, and the devil as the accuser of the brethren. Look at John chapter 15, verse 26. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Now, I know I've went over this before, but this is so vital and so important. And the reason that he's called the Comforter is because what he does when he comes to do, he's going to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's going to do. He's called the Comforter because he is just another one like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to testify of the first Comforter the Lord Jesus Christ. To testify in the Greek, the Greek word is marturio, and it means to give divine revelation and inspiration. To give divine revelation and inspiration of what? Divine truth. And what does truth do? Truth makes you free. Look at John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Once again, the Holy Spirit is described by Christ as the Comforter. And he says it's expedient. It's in your best interest. It's in your best it is more beneficial to you that he goes away and the Holy Spirit comes. It's advantageous for you if Jesus Christ goes away and the Holy Spirit comes. I know this is hard to grasp, but it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit living on in the inside of you 
than it is for me to be here in my physical body. That's what Jesus is saying. It is better for you to have the physical, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you than it is for me, Jesus, to be here in my physical body. That is powerful. Most people would not agree with that statement. Because it would be better than Christ be here in the physical. Many people would think that. What would be greater than to sit at the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with your hair as Mary did? What could be greater than watching Christ multiply the loaves and the fishes and then distributing them to the masses? What could be greater than to watch Lazarus come forth out of the tomb, wrapped in great clothes? What would be greater than sitting at the table as you broke bread with Christ? And yet Jesus said, the greater would be if he was to leave and the comforter would come. And yet right now, many, if they were given the choice between the Holy Spirit, as he has been given to this earth right now, and the physical presence of Jesus Christ, multitudes would, prove, multitudes would choose the physical presence of Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What does he mean when he says that he will never leave you nor forsake you? He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's not speaking about himself. He had to leave. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about the abounding of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, your coach, your helper, your encourager, your guide, your comforter, your revealer, your discloser, your exposer, your power. That's what the Holy Ghost is. That's what he is to you as a born-again child of God. He is everything that you need or ever going to need living on the inside of you. If you really understood the Holy Spirit and the reason that he was sent, then you would realize that it is better for the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you than it is for Jesus to be present on the outside of you, fellowshipping with you. That's powerful. And the reason that many would choose the physical presence of Christ over the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit is because they do not realize the importance of the Comforter whom the Father has sent because of Jesus. You know, I'm amazed as I really think about what religion has done. The world understands something that religion doesn't. Take Budweiser, and I'm not a promoter of beer. Please get this to understand. I'm just giving you an example. Take Budweiser, for instance, when they promote and advertise their product. What do they use to promote it? Beautiful mountain streams, white glistening snow, beautiful Clydesdale horses pulling a wagon, or a sleigh, 
on snow. They used children all bundled up in the sleigh as the horses trot past a brightly lit up house portraying warmth and fellowship. And then they say something like this. Budweiser is the finished product of the brewer's art. This is how they advertise their product. Horses, snow, bundled up children that have nothing to do with the product that they are selling. They just want you to feel good about what you are, about what they are selling and what they want you to buy. If you were to tell the truth and to show the finished product of the brewer's art, they would show you the drunk lying in the gutter in his own vomit. They would show you the broken homes, the broken marriages, the wrecked lives of multitudes of spouses and children. They would show you the poverty that has destroyed multitudes, the trust and confidence that has been destroyed in couples and in families. They would show you the love that has been eaten up by the finished product of the brewer's heart that has wasted multitudes of lives. If they showed you this, if they advertised this, no one would buy the product. So what they do is to take something negative and portray it positive. And what the church, what religion has done, is to take something positive and portray it as negative. We have associated everything that is negative. Condemnation because of our sins, guilt, unworthiness because of our mistakes, conviction, travailing, weeping, lamenting. These are the things that the church associates with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that wakes you up in the middle of the night and won't let you sleep at night. It's the Holy Spirit that wakes you up in the wee hours of the morning, not caring whether or not you have to work all day, not caring whether you've not what you've been through the previous day. It's the Holy Spirit that gives Unto, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you burden, so grievous to carry, so burdened down that you have no peace, no joy, no calm. And yet the church advocates that it's the Holy Spirit that gives you this burden, burden that makes you miserable. It's the Holy Spirit that drives you to exhaustion because there's so much to be done. It's no wonder that people want the physical presence of Christ instead of the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. I need to tell you this, and I need to tell you it again. The Holy Spirit does not condemn the child of God, does not accuse the child of God, and does not afflict the child of God. That is being done by your own heart, by your own conscience, and being amplified by the law, and reinforced by the devil. Those thoughts that you have, if it's not a positive thought, if it's not an encouraging thought, if it's not a lovely thought, if it's not a good report, let me tell you, it's not coming from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. On the eve of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
every single one of Jesus Christ's followers are going to abandon him. And what is Jesus doing? He's preparing to send them another comforter just like him. In the midst of their failure, in the midst of their cursing, in the midst of their denying, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of a tremendous amount of disappointment, just hours away from totally rejecting Christ and what Christ is doing, Jesus is getting ready to send them another comforter, the Holy Spirit. Not an accuser, not a condemner, not an afflictor, not a victor, convictor, but a comforter. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their failure, in the midst of their shortcoming, and he's sending that comforter to do nothing but to build them up and encourage them. What a powerful truth. Let us pray. I don't want to thank you today and magnify your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your children. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach this message and to bring it to eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to perceive. I want to thank you for being in tune and for coming to Rock Solid Peace broadcast tonight. I pray that tomorrow you shall walk in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ And remember, the Holy Spirit wants to lift you up, guide you, love you, prepare you, and lift you to the very places of all spiritual blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ has obtained for you. This is D.K. Grooms of Rock Solid Truth. Go with God, and he will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord. This is D.K. Grooms with Rock Solid Truth Live. I'm so glad that each and every one of you has joined with us tonight for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and I pray that you've been walking in the glory and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you are more than conquerors, amen, that you are the head and not the tail, and that you are abounding in that glory which God has imparted unto you as born-again children of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. For the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about how our heart is the one that chains us, condemns us, gives us insecurity, and not only our heart, but our conscience as well. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. The Apostle John is speaking to us. This is John that laid his head upon the bosom of Christ, and he loved the Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ loved this disciple. And in the abounding, or in the revelation of what he has written here, he has shown us that it is our hearts that has a tendency to condemn us. The Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, 
he tells us that we are to have no condemnation in our lives, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John again. 1 John three nineteen, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. That's what the Word of God is telling you and I, that we as children of God, what we are to do concerning our heart. We are to assure our hearts before him. We are to assure the two-thirds of us that one-third of us is in is in truth relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You see, we have to assure our heart before him, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are of the truth. And if our heart desires to condemn us, if our heart desires to shame us, then we are to tell our heart that God is greater than our heart and that God knoweth all things and that our heart has limited knowledge concerning this relationship. God is not the one who condemns us. It's our heart. And our heart, and, and the Word of God tells us that if our heart condemns us, then God is greater than our heart. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. I think this scripture is such a powerful scripture that tells us exactly what is taking place here. If your heart does not condemn you, then you know that you have confidence towards God. What a revelation. This is something that the child of God should long for and desire, truth of the relationship and of the word of God. I just spoke about Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Look what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The word of God teaches us that if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are born again, then there should be no condemnation in our relationship with him. Now, I will say that condemnation should be a part of our life before we become born again, because it should be that that should drive us to seek the Savior as we are sinners. But after our relationship with Christ, after we are born again, we should have no part of condemnation in our life. You see, it's the church that has brought us to this arrow and teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit that brings condemnation. And it's the Holy Spirit that does this because we've done something wrong. And the church teaches that it's the Holy Spirit that drives us to the altar. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us to weeping and travailing as we sorrow over our past, even our present and even our future. You know, how is the child of God ever going to be free from guilt and condemnation if the child of God never learns to walk in freedom and liberty because the message that they have received is based on confusion and falsehood concerning the Word of God? 
the Holy Spirit does not point out our individual sins, as many preachers and many teachers tell us. The Holy Spirit does not tell us that God is displeased with us. How many times have you as a child of God felt that God is displeased with you? How many times have you felt that God is angry with you? How many times have you felt that God was going to take away something because we were not doing right? I want to tell you, the church has been teaching that for years. The Holy Spirit does not bring us to a place of remembrance and shame because of our past mistakes. Here is Revelation. Jesus Christ loved us while we were yet sinners. How much more shall he love us when we become a son and a daughter? The Holy Spirit is the comforter, not the accuser. And yet multitudes of God's people have embraced this negative and condescending belief that it's the Holy Spirit that is doing these things in our lives. And to continue in this line of thinking, I know that we've been taught wrong by the church. I know that those that did that taught us wrong did not do it maliciously. They just did it simply because they had no revelation concerning the Word of God. And to continue in this line of thinking and believing is going to undermine and bring destruction to that which God desires to do to, with you because of grace, and he has abounded towards you. The Holy Spirit is not the source of our condemnation. Our heart is. Our conscience is. Look at John fourteen sixteen. John fourteen sixteen. I want to bring you some revelations concerning the Holy Spirit. The Comforter. John fourteen sixteen, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This comforter, that's what the Scripture says. Jesus says, I'm going to give you another comforter. I'm praying to the Father that you'll have another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Forever. Jesus could not abide with us forever. He had to ascend to the Father. He needed to sit down at the right hand of the Father, so that he could draw us to sit beside him. But the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, that other Comforter, he's going to abide with us forever. That's what the Word of God says. Look at John fourteen twenty six. John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, you remember just a few moments ago when I said that the Holy Ghost does not bring unto you your past mistakes and your past sins? Here the Word of God is telling you that he will teach you all things, and he will bring all things to your remembrance that he has taught you. In other words, if you forget it, the Holy Ghost is going to bring it to your remembrance so that you don't forget it. How powerful and wonderful is that? John fifteen twenty six. John fifteen twenty six. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, 
ye shall testify of me. Look at John sixteen seven. John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. In other words, it is more beneficial for you that I go away and send this comforter. Because he will benefit you more than I can. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now look at John chapter 13, verse 1. John 13, 1 is the beginning of the Passover meal and the beginning of the instructions that Christ is going to be giving his disciples before the crucifixion. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. The supper being ended, the devil having now put into the Heart of Jesus is carry at Simon's son to protect, to betray him. Look at John 18, 1. John 18, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Sidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said, unto them, whom seek ye? And Jesus, knowing that all things that were going to come upon him, and yet four times he tells his disciples between chapter 13 and chapter 16 that he's going to send them another comforter. He's going to send them a comforter knowing that all of the disciples are going to forsake him. He's going to send a comforter knowing that Peter will sit in the enemy's camp and deny him three times and curse him. He's going to send a comforter knowing that they will all be scattered like sheep. Four times he tells them that he's going to send a comforter to encourage, lift them up, build them up, and tell them about relationships that they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, knowing what his disciples were going to do, I find this so amazing. Jesus, knowing what his disciples were going to do, everything that they were going to do, he did not afflict them, chastise them, condemn them, make them feel guilty, make them feel unworthy to accuse them. Instead, he sent unto them someone to comfort them, someone just like him. You see, multitudes of God's people have been missing out on the blessing, the wonderful revelation of what the Holy Spirit is all about and wants to share with you concerning Christ. What is it that has kept us in bondage? What is corrupted and stymied us in our relationship? I will tell you what it is. It's religion. John fourteen sixteen. 
I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That word another in the Greek is alos, and it means another in the exact same kind. In other words, it says that, a, that the other comforter that's coming, that Jesus is going to send, is exactly as Jesus Christ did. So what was the ministry of Jesus? Reconciling the world unto himself. Not making them accountable for their sin. And then he gave to us the ministry or committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter five nineteen. Second Corinthians five nineteen. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, you and I, children of God, the word of reconciliation. How powerful. His ministry was reconciling the world, every single person unto himself. Not making man accountable for his sins. Not accusing man of his sins, even though man had a multitude of sins. Not condemning man, but reconciling man unto himself. This Son of God, Jesus Christ, he fellowshiped with prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, sinners. But everyone that was of religion rejected him. Everyone that was of religion or everybody that was religious rejected him. And yet tax collectors, lepers, sinners, and adulterers rejoiced in him. You see, his ministry was the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of condemnation. He did not reprove them, condemn them. He reconciled them. His words to an adulterous woman, caught in the very act of adultery. He looked at her and said, go in peace and sin no more. He could have easily condemned her, but he didn't. Instead, there was love and acceptance. Mary anoints his feet with costly ointment. And one of the disciples, Judas, begins to criticize her for wasting it. Jesus rebukes him and says, leave her alone. Because of my burial has she done this. Love and acceptance, reconciling the world unto himself. And we're to believe that Jesus who's reconciling the world unto itself, but the other comforter is now a comforter of condemnation, is the source of condemnation. No, I think something's terribly wrong. When Jesus leaves to go with his father, who did he send? The comforter, the one who is exactly like himself, the one who does not bring condemnation, but love and acceptance as well.
Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, shall be exalted. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the lives of your children. I thank you, Lord, for this message, and I thank you, Lord, that it shall abound in the hearts of every single one that is hearing the word. I pray that hearts shall be opened, eyes shall be opened, and ears shall be made to hear. We'll give you all the praise. This is D.K. Grove thanking you in advance for such a lovely evening. Go with God, and he will surely go with you.